Get ready, it's time. Motherhood Talk Radio, starring Sandra Beck, is the most powerful voice in women's issues today. As the owner of Motherhood Incorporated, Sandra brings you inspiring, influential, and interesting resources to help you navigate everything from childcare to corporate formation. Each episode of Motherhood Talk Radio features guests who all have a story, experts in their field, and information you won't want to miss. We bring you everything from the latest crafting tips to how to be sexy in your 40s. From great parenting tips to moms facing some tough challenges, and most importantly, how to bounce back with style. Motherhood Talk Radio helps you make a difference in your world and the world around us. Being all you can be starts right here, right now. Let's do it. Here's your host, Sandra Beck. everybody. This is Sandra Beck, and I am here with Leslie Eckford and Amanda Lambert, and we are talking today about when mom or dad move in. Now, I brought my father into my home, oh gosh, now it's been maybe nine or ten years after my mom passed away, and we've had a lot of fun in our 8 to 80 household, but those things create some conflict and some unique challenges as opposed to putting your dad or mom in a care facility or having in-home care in your house. There's lots of hybrids today. So girls, I'm so glad you're here to talk to me about this. We are glad to be with you, Sandra. Thank you, Sandra. Absolutely. Because I think as, you know, I have friends who have long-term care insurance. One of them's mother had a stroke. They used the long-term care insurance for her. Then she got better. She no longer needed the long-term care insurance. Now she doesn't have it anymore. Ooh, Ten years yeah. later, she's now aging, needs the help, but she's already used her benefits. So we've yeah. got people who have benefits, who don't have benefits, who use their benefits, or their benefits have expired. And we do have a crisis, I think, of where do we put our elderly in this country? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. And then we have people like my parents who have paid tens of thousands of dollars in premiums for long-term care and have never used a penny. And they're in their 90s. I mean, so it's a good news, bad news. They paid all that money, but yet they don't need the benefit. So that's the good news. But yeah. And I think now that the light bulb is going off for a lot of people who are getting closer to retirement themselves, it's quite a bit harder to find a long-term care insurance policy. It is. Yeah, many of those companies have gone out of business um, or they've sold. They've sold to other, because I know my parents' original plan is owned by someone else. Oh, absolutely. Right. Sold, resold. You don't even know, you know, who your carrier Mm -hmm. is other than some little notice in the mail that it's been sold. I think the other thing that's making it difficult for families, and I hear this, I've experienced it in my own, is the Managed um, Affordable Care Act. (laughs) People are having situations, one of my clients, her husband, who's in his 80s, she's in her 60s, his carotid artery clog is needs to get 2% higher before he's eligible to have that managed care done. So he's right at 67, 68% blockage. He has to get to 70 before the affordable care act will kick in and his insurance will cover it. So he's basically a walking time bomb going, how close do we have to get to the number registering 70 so he can have that, you know, clean out or whatever they do. Mm-hmm. And so do they come out of pocket? And if so, they come out of pocket for this. That means they're not going to be able to sustain their lifestyle. Do they go in and live with their daughter in order to have this surgery done that could, you know, potentially extend this man's life for, you know, however long his natural days are. Though it does make me wonder someone who's 80 wouldn't their care be covered by Medicare? How old is he? He's 80, but it's the Affordable Care Act that limits the doctors have to follow at the hospital, he's at the Mayo Clinic, what the Affordable Care Act will cover. 
as it, it's really been my understanding, it's sort of the opposite that most other insurances follow Medicare's protocols and policies. So it may be more, it, it may in fact be a governmental regulation, but it's probably a Medicare policy. Yeah, that, that's an unusual story. I have never heard no. of a story like that, Sandra, mm-hmm. uh, with somebody who obviously is eligible for Medicare. I assume he's on either traditional Medicare or a Medicare Advantage plan. Mm-hmm. But do you know what? It really brings up such an important point, and that is, do any of us really understand the insurance or, or what the rules are? You know, the, the whole prescription coverage of Medicare is one of the most confusing things I've ever heard of. Yeah. I've never really been able to figure it out. I just kind of look at my mother's policy and go, hope for the best. Well, you know? that's it. Yeah. And when you're faced with something like this, you know, we don't know because we're not, you know, we're not faced with it. If we had a, you know, a test monkey 80 years old, we could put him through the system and see what happens. But unfortunately, most of us don't, like in this lady's case, you know, she runs a company, she's, you know, smart lady. So believe me, if there was coverage available and her husband could get this, they would do it. Right. And he's also a veteran. And I'm like, wow, that didn't fall under the veteran yeah. either. Yeah. We're yeah. like, no, it's got to be 70% blockage for it to I, be covered. I have wow. never, I have heard, never that. heard that, yeah. Sandra. Honestly, that well, is, mm, I'm going to yeah, have to look into that. It happened last week and she called me say, what do I do? I'm like, I don't know. Cause I'm caring for my dad. You know, you, you go with what they tell you, but the bigger overriding thing is when mom and dad move in, all of a sudden you're responsible for figuring mm-hmm. this out. Mm-hmm. And you, and you sometimes feel like, Oh, I've, I've got to get a PhD in aging <laughs> well, <laughs> to yeah, be able to right. understand what all these things about care actually mean. Well, and I think, you know, I mean, you're kind of, you're the expert on this, Sandra, because you've lived with this, you know, for 10 years. <laughs> I mean, you really, you, you know it in and out. And I think, you know, when I have families come to me and say, well, I'm considering having, you know, mom or dad move in with me. I think what most people do, and this is, this is natural to think this way. They think about the current situation, right? Where are we now? Right. So what do we need to do to deal with what's happening now? Today. Right. They don't think about what's going to happen later. You can't. Yeah. You what? only have today. You know, like if I have, like when I brought my dad in, I said, dad, I will care for you as long as I'm able. Because if I get sick, if the kids have a problem, if I, you know, my company goes out of business, you know, I decide some way I'm going to be like a pole stripper somewhere and it ruins my credibility <laughs> you know, for, you know, an ethical values driven radio host. I mean, you know, these things seem to happen in the news. I, I don't know. They come out of nowhere. Up, Sandra, that sounds good. <laughs> yeah, Rita, I got to pick up some extra cash quick. All those spin classes pay off. I mean, we joke about this stuff, but it's, it comes down to dollars and cents. Can I afford to have my mom or dad live with me, is it safe? You know, we're moving my dad from the second floor to the first floor. And there's certain parts of the house he can't go unattended. I don't want him out in the pool area unattended. Mm-hmm. He slips, falls, hits his head. He trips and falls in. And if he's in the hot tub, which I put at 97 degrees, it helps his arthritis. Either me or one of the kids has to be in there with him. Yeah. So how do you keep him away from the pool? You just go no and lock the door. Mm. You know, it's, it's almost like, I don't want to say it's like a toddler, but it's like a toddler. Sometimes there's, there's things you can and cannot do. And this is where the child becomes the parent. And it's a tough call because on good days, he's reasonable on not good days, not reasonable. And this is, this is one of the things that I think there's an emotional contingent that comes into dealing with your parents because they aren't able to care for themselves on their own, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, when we talk about this subject, so where was your father living before he moved in with you? With my mother. 
and they were traveling in the the same town. Yeah. Same house. Okay. Because I think what some families consider doing is moving somebody across the country. I had a client that wanted to move his mother. He did move her and she had severe dementia from Maine to Utah, Salt Lake city, which is 4,000 feet elevation and didn't consider the fact that Uh there would might be some breathing problems well, it lasted a week. Yeah. It lasted just one week. And then he, he ended up placing her in memory care. I mean, where she's doing fine, but I think sometimes these sort of wholesale decisions, you don't really think about the fact that, oh my goodness, you know, she's going from sea level to over 4,000. Well, or from Buffalo to Los Angeles. Right. Yeah. Right. That different was a climate big thing for my dad. Climate different. He didn't like the heat. He didn't like the food. He didn't like the people. You name it, you know, but again, all of this stuff is as a, like, I look at it like kind of a military operation. It's a need to know basis. So what do I need to tell them? And it's subject to change because if I can't, if I feel like I can't care for my dad or he's leaving the stove on and I'm going to burn down half of California, you know, these are, you know, very real possibilities it has to be with the caveat that this is not permanent. Right. Because at some point it may be that I am, that it's actually more dangerous for my dad to live in my house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's just the truth. There's stairs, there's a pool, there's a balcony, you know, there's three dogs to trip over. So, you know, again, we weigh these things out and, you know, and this is why with your family member, you have to make the executive decision. It's your house. And mm-hmm. I know that's really hard with a parent, but it's like my house, my rules, because if not, we have chaos. I think that is one of the smartest things I've ever heard. And I don't think your listeners or other audiences can hear that enough right. because I, in fact, made a promise to both my parents that they could stay in their home until the bitter end. And my dad was able to do it. And uh, now my mother who has dementia and she has care, I am a long distance caregiver. It's, it's not my mother that's my concern, it's the house. I, a few minutes ago I was just telling Amanda that I got a call from someone at my mother's house yesterday saying, do you know that the window in the basement has fallen out and no, shattered on the floor? You know, I'm like, I can't make a promise to that house anymore. No. And, and so we have to give ourselves permission to say, this is plan A. There yeah. might be a plan B. Mm-hmm. Or C, we just, it, it's the worst time in life, really, when you think about it. No one wants to have a lot of change right even younger adults are not so happy with change but older adults you just it takes a lot of energy and Mm -hmm. and 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 commitment and when they especially are not as involved with the decision making process it's it's and they can't be and oftentimes they can't be You know, my dad has proven again and again that he cannot be responsible for financial decisions, for medical decisions. You know, he gets overwhelmed, he gets stressed out, he forgets, you know, and that's fine. But my promise to my dad, and I encourage everybody to make the same promise, is to do the best they can for you, which is also the best for them. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes the best for my dad is to go stay with my brother for three weeks and give me a break. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's better for my dad to be in my immediate care because I know he's not getting what he needs where he is. And that's more stressful for me. So it is, it's a day by day basis. It's a month by month. It's a financial, it's an emotional and it's a physical because as my dad ages, I cannot lift a 200 pound man. And when it comes to the point that he needs to be transferred from a bed to a wheelchair, a wheelchair to a toilet, I'm not your girl. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sandra, I'm curious, did you do any kind of, or have you done any home modifications? 
you know, well, for- when I built this home, you know, this home was built um, as my mother was dying and I had a, you know, kind of an idea of what might happen. So when I built this home, I did build it with wide hallways, you know, it's wheelchair. There's a, there's an upstairs master bathroom and bedroom. And then there's a second downstairs master bedroom. All of those were designed and chosen because as a single mother, whether I need to bring in one or both parents or a live-in caregiver, which Mm -hmm. I had to help with my children. I had Anna and Anna and her daughter, you know, who was a little toddler at the time, they lived in my house. They used that room. Like, you know, you kind of have to shift and flex to the needs at the time. And, you know, when my dad had his stroke last year in August, I was really glad because he started to get shaky. He started to get tottery, which he wasn't, you know, he was pretty good going up and down the stairs. But after his stroke, he started having a little bit of wobble. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then I'm like, wow, like this is the last time, like when my dad goes home, we're going to move everything. So when he comes back, everything's done. Because I will tell you the process of change with older people, it's, I found it's like a bandaid. You got to pull that sucker off and go because there's going to be trauma either way, whether it's a long drawn out trauma or a short trauma, you know, with my dad moving rooms, he's like, well, how's Max going to, they have a Jack and Jill bedroom. So how's Max going to sleep on his own? I'm like, he's 16. He'll be okay without you across the hall. You know? <laughs> I need you downstairs because, you know, the stairs just aren't safe anymore for you. And I want you to live a long, healthy life. Mm -hmm. And then, oh, well, I don't know. Well, I know. And that's the thing is like, you have to shut down these discussions. I don't mean to be heartless and cruel, Mm -hmm. but when you have a, a, a toddler, you don't give him matches to play with. You know, when you have a father that's stumbly, you don't put him on two flights of stairs. Like, And you can't get emotional. This is where you have to look and go, what is best for this person? I know he doesn't want to be in the downstairs master. I mean, it's nice. It's got a bathroom en suite, a jacuzzi tub. I mean, we could do a little worse. (laughs) But it's a change for him. It's a recognition of his own mortality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, one thing I, I wonder about, I mean, my parents have never lived with me, and I don't think they will. Because they're in senior housing and that was their plan. Yeah. Take the pressure off of us kids. So they're in independent senior housing, but they can go into assisted living if they need it. They have long-term care insurance. But when you said, you know, when your dad gets to the point where he needs to be transferred, I wonder with some families, what happens though, it's kind of hard to know where to draw that line. Do you know what I mean? Like, how do you know when too much is too much? Because when you're used to doing and doing more and doing more, how do you know when to stop? I think it's when you're worried you're going to get injured. You know, like for me, I don't want to have a back injury. I don't want to drop my dad and not be able to pick him up. You know? I think what we also see is kind of more of a slow burn. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's before a physical injury takes place. It's an emotional injury. We've seen so many people who are in this situation. They made the choice to move in or have uh, the parent move in. And then, you know, it's, it's like that thing where people from the outside of the home can see the changes that are taking place, but the, the, um, adult child caregiver often cannot Mm -hmm. see the changes but they, they feel the pressure yeah. and they know they're doing more and more every day. And there's also either resentment or guilt or a combination of both that can just be heart wrenching for people. Yeah. And I think those people, especially with that twinge of guilt that are just going to put off drawing that line for their own yeah. well-being. Yes put it off. Oh, well, you know, it's not that bad. I can deal with this. I've been dealing with this for five years. You know, I can keep going. Mm-hmm. And if they have siblings, the siblings are like, yes, yes, you, you keep going. <laughs> yeah. Right. You keep take the heat off us, make it easier for us. Right, right. Yeah. And that's exactly what I mean. That's, that's exactly the point that I was making is that I think with that slow burn, it can just be really hard to know when yeah. is it time. 
You know, when is it time to make a decision? I, I can't take care of you anymore. Right. And oh, I don't know, do you know, when that decision will be, you know, yeah. I, I thought heavily about it, you know, when he had his stroke and, you know, we had the aftercare and thankfully, you know, he, he bounced back pretty good, had a little aphasia, but you know, beyond that, it's okay. But yeah, the point at which, you know, I don't know what that point will be for me. I don't know what that point is for anyone, but I know yeah. it has to be before I break. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it's just like on the airplane, when they say to take the oxygen first, you can't help anybody if you are passed out. Right. So, yeah, it's, it's a very tough call for people. Mm-hmm. Well, and I do think, too, it, it, a lot has to do when you have somebody in your house, because I have other friends who have parents in their house, a lot of it has to do with the attitude of the elderly person. You know, thankfully, my dad is upbeat and positive. He has his TV shows. He has his, you know, cousin Gary to talk to every day. And he likes the dogs. You know, he sits with the dog every day and the dog sits on his lap and he and Chicken Nugget are, you know, happy watching Matlock. <laughs> and that's great. He's a positive force. But when he gets naughty and he eats the things he shouldn't and he goes into diabetic shock and then, you know, I have another problem on my hands and the kids have to walk him and water him, you know, and help him work through that. Or I have to make the decision to take him to the emergency room. Then it's not so good. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of those things where if you, if you, take steps away from your household. That's the only place you can get clarity. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because a lot of people are either unwilling to do that or they think that, um, Oh, I can't step away. Mm -hmm. Um, there are a few martyrs out there too. We have to Mm -hmm. say, um, who are just, you know, are, know that they're the only one in their sibling group who's going to be the one to be there for mom. They get um, to be the hero. They get to be the hero. They get to point the finger mm-hmm. at the other ones who are not helping out or not stepping up to the plate. That's a scenario that we do see not that often because we really do have family caregivers out yeah. there who are just tremendous heroes. I don't want to put any blame on anyone. But again, there's sort of that filter that people can't see or they are so reluctant. We've, we've seen a lot of um, spouse caregivers, especially. Yes. We're like, oh, oh no, I can't leave John alone. I can't, oh, he wouldn't be happy if I left him with a caregiver, even for two hours for me to go out yeah. and take a walk and just breathe. So a lot, some, there are certain people who, require some support to do. Well, and some of those people too, you know, I saw it with my dad caring for my mom and her breast cancer. If he left her, bad things could happen while he was gone. Mm-hmm. And even if the, the children were with him, the guilt that, you know, he's not there. But also I found that they don't want to be alone with their thoughts. Right. When you're not in the full caregiving mode, and I've seen this, you take that person out, you give them some relief, then they have to sit there and go, it's like you're faced with the enormity of what it is versus if you're just stressed out all the time and you just have to be there, you don't have to deal with it because you're dealing with it. Right, right. Yeah. That's yeah. absolutely true. You know, and I think the other part of this that we haven't really talked about is we're kind of making the assumption when we, when we characterize this situation that somebody is there full time. Right. I mean, there are lots of people who are still working. Mm-hmm. And so they have mom or dad living with them, but they still have a, a working life. And how do they fill in those gaps? And, you know, how, how does that get coordinated? Um, because people are working later and later into sure. life. And so that's another thing to consider. You know, when is it time to bring in in-home care? When is it time to consider, you know, some support? Um, and of course, women are disproportionately affected, you know, by, by caregiving and many of them have, you know, quit their careers to, to be caregivers full time. And it's really hard to get back into the workforce Absolutely. after that's, that's finished. And so there are lots of considerations, I think. And, you know, at the beginning of the show, Sandra, I think what I meant by, I, I think it's important to not catastrophize the situation, but to consider kind of what the possibilities are um, as, as there is a decline. 
Sure. Or let's say there's a crisis, you know, one or the other or both. Right. And just to be prepared, you know, right. just to be prepared with resources, with, I mean, if you think that assisted living might be needed, well, then figure that out ahead of time, right. not, not during crisis mode. Right. Figure out, you know, who are the home health companies that you like? Who are the private duty companies that you can rely upon and trust? You know, rather than having to make those decisions, you know, um, either during the slow burn or, or during a crisis. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you have to have the contingency plan for the whole gamut of things. You know, like you have to have everything ready. Like I have copies of my dad's health policies. I have copies of my brother also in New York has a set of copies. So both of us have, we have the healthcare directives, all those things. But you also need to have, I know this sounds ghoulish, but I have my dad's burial arrangements. I have, I have all that information. I know where he's going to be cremated. I know that I have to ship the body. I'm going to have the body cremated here and shipped to New York rather than having the body shipped to New York and cremated. Right. Like These are the things you think about. And when you have an elderly in your family living with you and you have younger children, the conversation does come up gee, mom, grandpa looks dead in the chair. (laughs) Yeah, he does. And I'm like, one of these days you might be right. And, you know, we kind of chuckle a little bit, but you have to have those conversations if you have children in the house, because they do see them cough and sneeze and get sick. And I have the blood pressure cuff, you know, there's things that they see. And I don't think they're necessarily bad things for kids to see if you're open about it. This is what grandpa needs. This is what happens. This is what happens when you get old. Because I think so many people, at least in my generation, have this massive fear of getting older and and dying in death because we've kept everybody so separate. Mm -hmm. I think our parents' generation, in fact, was maybe one of the first generations to do that. It was sort of an American thing to separate death. It happened at the same time that hospitals were growing. Um, You know, prior to World War II, most people died at home. Right. Um, And then after that, it became more of a modern concept to, of course, you don't want to die at home. Why would you put everyone through that? Let's keep it sterilized. Let's keep it very clinical and professional. And yet at the same time, that brought a lot of terror to people. I I know people who are terrified of going to a hospital room because they associate it with someone's death. Yeah, that's a great point, Leslie, because technology has surpassed our ability to be able to keep people alive at home. You know, if you want to keep living, you've got to go to the hospital because that's where they have the technology to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you bring up that I just love that you talked with your father and I'm assuming your, your siblings about, okay, this, this is my boundary. Um, I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm all in until this happens. Right. Um, But I think that also, I think you're, you're probably not only you, but your brother also, you have a plan for what's going to happen when the end is near. Mm -hmm. And, and that is really a comfort to know. That's a, a yeah. comfort that families can give each other. They have that conversation. You know what? You probably learned a lot when your mother passed away about what your father thought and what he wanted. Yeah. And that's that's just, that's a great thing for families to do for each other, yeah, I think. It well, is an awful way to put it, but it's like, we worked out a lot of the kinks on my mom. You know what I mean? Because yeah, the yeah. first time a family goes through this, yeah. You know, if you go through it as a family, you've got siblings, you've got, you know, spouses, some are close, some are not, you've got other brothers and sisters. I mean, you've got a mess in Maple Leaf Garden when you put all those people together around the dining. I, I mean, have it's- to tell this story about my dad's funeral. My, I, as I've said before, my dad was a Marine. And so the funeral director said, well, you know, we can have, even though it's not going to be a graveside service, the Marines will come and play taps. And I was like, oh, my dad would just love that. And so it was kind of a small funeral home. And they said, you know, we've done this before. We've got to open the doors because the sound is so loud. Gotcha. So the, the Marine was in the back, got his bugle out. I don't know if he'd had a little too much fun the night before, but you know, a bugle is a hard <laughs> instrument. To yes. Play. 
And so we were sitting on the front row and we heard this little, and we kind of look around and then all of a sudden Taps is playing. Well, the funeral director knew from experience that he had to have a recording ready on the go because that bugle was not happening. Oh no. <laughs> but you know what? My dad would have thought that was the funniest. He would thing say it's the Marine Corps. It's a snafu. Like he would have loved to chide the guy like, oh yeah, a little too much to drink last night or something, you know. <laughs> but it all worked out. It was even that, you know, to give us a little relief, a little laugh, and then we went on, you know. Yeah. So that's a great story. That is a great story. It's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and he was probably still playing during the recording, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, he kept the bugle up. He kept the bugle up. Yeah. Yeah. He's the Milli Vanilli of the Marine Corps. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. So I think the hardest thing, you know, and this is what I really want our listeners to understand when you have these conversations with your parent about end of life, about advanced healthcare directives, about final wishes, about, you know, long-term care insurance and, you know, what, what funds do you have available? You have to understand that when you do this, nobody's cool about it. It's not easy for anybody. When I was having the conversation first with my dad, and this goes back even before my mom died, in my head, I'm going, don't freak out, don't freak out, don't freak out. Because <laughs> it's really hard, you know? And I'm like, I got cold, my hands were shaking. Like, it's not easy. Like, we joke and laugh about this stuff. It's really hard. But if you just hold your breath and go, you know, it's like, I don't know, what is something you have to do? Like, you got to pull that tooth out. Like, it can't just right. hang there by the string forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to pull the tooth out. And I think if you just hold your breath and do your best, that's enough. Because mm-hmm. there is no, there's no eloquent way to say, hey, mom, you're gonna die. So what's the drill? Like, there's no nice way to say it. There's no easy way to say it. And there's no softening it. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think I think I may have mentioned before, maybe on another show, that my parents have been really great at at pre-planning. You know, everything is in place, everything is organized, everybody knows what their role is, except for one thing: end of life. End of life wishes are there, but the funeral plans I cannot get my dad to agree to. And I'm I'm thinking that is the strangest thing. I said, well, dad, I I know you want to be cremated, but where, what do we do? He said, you know what? Just figure it out when it happens. And I thought, and I, I've been doing this long enough where I know you can actually do that. You know, you just call, you you just just call call the mortuary and they come. So I thought, you know, I can give you that. I can give you that last bit that you, you have decided not to decide to do but it's just so out of keeping with the rest of his highly organized aging pattern, but go figure. Yeah. It's just the one thing like he's, it's just the one thing he can't fit. He's just the one thing he doesn't want to deal with. So I'm okay with that. I can do all this other stuff, but you know, this stuff I can't like my mom couldn't decide what to be buried in. And I'm like, well, you're only going to be cremated. So it's not going to be that long. Um, (laughs) I know, just, well, I mean, yeah. sorry, but I mean, it's, oh, gosh. so, you know, thank God my, my parents love me the way I was made, um, but my sister ended up picking out this dress, and I'm like, I don't think mom would want that, but then I'm like, like, we do agonize over these things that, like, you guys are laughing, but it really doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like, if it doesn't matter to your mom and dad, it can't matter to you. Right. You know? That that story is just, it's hilarious but heartbreaking because if you think about it, you know, we still cling to sort of the 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 habits of living while we're yeah. alive. I mean, you know, you don't want to be cremated naked. <laughs> you know? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> well, that's true. It's true. You want to be in clothes. I mean, this is the first time I've ever thought of that since you brought it up. Well, there you go. My work is done here. So, but, but yeah, it's like we just, we have to have some of that normalcy. Yes. You know, um, 
some of that sort of tradition or whatever it is until until the very end but you're right it doesn't matter but it does matter it doesn't but it does right so yeah. if it, like right. i always take my cue from my mom if it matters to her it matters to it me matters. like if it matters to my dad it matters to me cuz what the hell do i know you know and the funny thing was <laughs> when my mom was um, we had the, you know, the funeral and I, I told you in the other show, I broke the cross off the casket, trying to adjust it and stuff it in my bag. And, <laughs> and then I got home and I couldn't stand the fact, I know this sounds ridiculous and I still think my mom's probably mad at me cause she's going to be blind for all eternity, but I had to have her glasses, her eyeglasses. Mm-hmm. I have my great grandmothers, my grandmothers, like the little wire rims. And I didn't even know these ladies, but my mom kept them. And then I'm blind as a bat. You know, I've got like 2750 contacts and glasses. And then my mom was going to be cremated. And all I could think of is her glasses are going to melt. Of course, not the whole body. But the glasses <laughs> right, right. So I call the funeral home and I'm like, because my mom was a closed casket. I'm like, can I have my mom's classes? It's really important to me. So he mm. went wherever the, the, the casket had gone, retrieved the glasses, met me, gave them to me. And then I was so grateful to have these glasses. They're, they're precious to me. They sit next to my, my other grandmothers. They're in my nightstand, like with their little old, you know, antique Bibles. They're all in there. They're so happy. And then I went to sleep that night and I had a dream. My mom was going, great. I can't read for the rest of eternity. I can't watch TV for the rest of eternity. Like, but you got to be prepared for weird stuff to come up and roll with it. Yeah. Like nothing's going to be harmed if I keep my mom's glasses from being cremated. It's important to me. And so it was okay. I didn't tell my brothers and sisters because that might not be okay for them, Mm -hmm. but I have them and it comforts me. Yeah. yeah. And I think what you're talking about is, you know, it's respect and dignity. And, you know, when you were talking about your house and your rules, one thing I wonder about is, you know, there's that fine line between someone feeling that they have independence or have some degree of control um, in your household or in anyone's household, you know, how does that get negotiated and navigated? You know, it's, it's bound to be difficult because I think, I mean, even as, and Leslie can, I'm sure can speak to this, you know, even with my parents here living close by, I have a tendency to want to take control because that's what I do for my work. And they just throw up a hand and say, back up, you know, back away. But I can imagine that when you're living with someone you know, your house, your rules, and you just want to, you know, you, you, you just, you take control, but that can be a kind of a slippery slope. It can be, and it can be dicey sometimes, you know, but you know, I I think, oh, I'm sorry. I recently had a conversation with someone who, um, whose spouse died suddenly and, but before that person died, he said, well, I want you to go and live with one of our children. And she agreed, but it all happened so suddenly. His death, this move to another state. And when I spoke to her from her point of view, it was really, she was having a huge struggle being a widow, moving from her house of many years. And she just was really kind of miserable miserable and telling me how bossy her daughter was <laughs> and you know i had to really hear what it was like for her because it was clear to me that she could not live independently she could not stay in mm-hmm. her home but it was a really tough tough time. it sucks I'll just say it right off the bat. And I tell my dad this, like, I know it sucks like that, you know, cause he calls himself the maid. Cause I give him laundry to fold. <laughs> he gets to wash the dishes. You know, he helps where he can. And I think number one, giving them responsibility in the household helps them take ownership. Yeah. So when and he helps with, That's when he helps purpose. with the laundry, when he helps with the, you know, cu- cooking and chopping, sometimes he'll sit at the kitchen table. I'll hand him the potatoes to peel and we cook along together. You know, we work together with the things he can do. Um, when it comes to his pills, it's my way or the highway, dad. You're taking them and, you know, you don't like it. 
And I've said this, I love you. You don't like it. Go home to Buffalo and no one's going to take better care of you than I am. Cause sometimes you do have to say these things and you also have to, I think, turn a deaf ear to a lot of the huffing and puffing because on a bad day, he can be a real pill. He's German. He's stubborn. He's military. Oh boy. Isn't that great for me? <laughs> great combo. Right. And then on a good day, he gets to go see his grandchild, get an award, get a picture taken with him because he wrote a whole thing about how grandpa was a hero in the civil war, which would make him like 180, <laughs> you know, but so you got to trade these things off. And this is why I think communication is so important. And if you see them struggling, like some days I'll say, dad, I know how hard it is for you without mom. Dad, I know how hard it is for you to be out here, you know, away from, you know, your, your home and everybody, or, you know, and sometimes he'll be like the, you know, the song and dance of the old people, which is all of my friends are dead. Right. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. you just say it. I'm so sorry, dad. I'm sorry. All of your friends are dead. And then I say, but you know what? I've got my friend, John, he's going to take you to Edwards Air Force Base and you're going to be there for the 50th anniversary of flight, you know, or whatever things. Because unspoken, I don't think resentment and shame can build if you just acknowledge it. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. you know what? It does suck. My dad was married. He paid his taxes. He was a good man, a good father. He retires. He's supposed to travel the world with his wife. She gets sick and dies and, you know, spends a lot of their money for her just to die. Right. That sucks for a lot of people. People have strokes. They get diseases. There's nothing good about any of this. Mm -hmm. And so instead of trying to pretend everything's sunny, warm, and wonderful, just the acknowledgement of how hard it is. You know, like when my dad complains and he says, all I do around here is the maid work. I say, you know what, dad, that's right. You do, but you make it possible for me to go to work. The kids go to school. None of us are stressed because of all your help. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, nobody's going to tell him he's not the maid. He is. I mean, he does a lot of, you know, he does those things. He'll sit with the sick dog because you know what? He's not going to sleep at night. He sleeps like five hours. So you get sick dog duty, you know, and, but acknowledging that it's really hard for them. And that sometimes it's really hard for me. Exactly. You know, he's a fixture in my living room. The living room sits in the center of the house. You cannot go upstairs, downstairs to the bathroom without, you know, he's like a piece of furniture in there. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I um, have, have, we've always heard of mom or dad moving in. I recently heard a story of um, a family uh, with older children. One's already gone off to college and two in high school. They are actually going to move into mom and dad's house. Well, and I am really um, impressed with that. I think that it, although the, the child who had gone off to college came and heard the situation and he said, yeah, yeah. And then he said, wait a minute, I won't have a room in grandma and granddaddy's house. So, you know, it, again, you know, the ripples that occur. Yep. Mm -hmm. for everybody involved in that situation. Well, um, you know, you think of the ripples and fallout. You know, my dad has like 10 grandchildren. Two of them he knows everything about. He's at every event. He's involved in their lives. He's in every picture on Facebook. How do you think the other grandchildren feel? Exactly. Because yeah. Grandpa loves Max and Zach more. No. He happens to live with us, but try telling a 13-year-old in Colorado or a 10-year-old in New York that grandpa loves you just as much as the kids he lives with. Right. It's complicated. Yeah, it is. And, you know, Leslie and I have been talking lately about how, you know, I think we just make an assumption that, you know, kids are going to take care of their parents one way or the other, whether it's long-distance caregiving like Leslie does or whether they're living in the home like like your dad is with you. But what we're finding also are older people that are taking care of their children, their sure. adult children yep. that are disabled or unable to take care of themselves. 
or just my generation and don't want to work overspent and had to come home at 50. There's mm-hmm. that too. Yeah. Yeah. You know? That mm-hmm. happened a lot with the fallout of the recession and yeah. And then it's kind of hard to move out of that direction sure. once you get involved in that. Well, and sometimes, sometimes it's to the benefit. Like, you know, my ex-in-laws, I love them dearly. The dad died, the mom's still alive. The 50, 60-year-old son never got married. You know, he was living in New York City. It was too expensive. He moved back into the mom's house. It's great. They're both not lonely anymore. Neither of them wanted to marry or mm-hmm. remarry. And they have this, they have somebody to have dinner with. They have somebody to watch TV. He drives her to the Y for her swim class. You know, she's 85. I mean, I think the whole point of today's show is there's no one size fits all. There's no right. There's no, you should do this. Mm -hmm. I think you should do what you think you can do. And if you don't think you can take care of them, that's a valid answer. If you think you can take care of them, that's a valid answer. Like, yes. We're all different. And then even in my family, which is a big family, there's only two of us that can get along with my dad all the time. Right. The other ones, you know, don't talk about Trump. Don't talk about military. Don't talk about politics. Don't talk about finances, any of that. And all of a sudden it's World War III. Right. But for me, I could care less. I talk all day. I don't even need to talk to my dad. I'm happy to sit and watch Matlock, (laughs) you know? (laughs) We laugh about these things, but I think it also depends on your personality. If you're tolerant, if you're easygoing, if things don't bother you a whole lot, you're probably going to be a pretty good caregiver mm-hmm. because my sister who cares too much, the ones who's the nurse, she's like, my dad just sneezes and he's got pneumonia. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's a balance. And then I think you just have to try it. And if it doesn't work, give yourself a break. It didn't work. You tried. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, um, I think I love the arrangement that you and your dad have with your brother and that he goes and spends time back there. Uh, I know that I worked with a family one time where the mom sort of became like a hot potato. She was moving every two months and that was too much. Too much. So I think when when the older person, the adult child, and the adult siblings come to an agreement, this is a good arrangement for our family. Right recognizing now. that some people don't have the personality to be the caregiver, and when that those siblings can appreciate and show appreciation for the person who is taking in their elder family member, that's beautiful. Yeah. And it does happen. It does happen. Of course, mm-hmm. we see things when they don't work out. Oh, that yeah. well, well, it's but- like when I tell all my family, here's what I need for you to send to dad for Christmas. I need socks and underwear and sweatpants and sweatshirts, t-shirts, um, sun cap, and a lifetime supply of sunscreen. If you could send that out. And what do I get? Sweaters. The last thing I need in Southern California when it's 100 degrees. Because I don't care how old you are, at 105 out, you do not need a sweater. Certainly not a roll turtleneck. (laughs) And you know, I I so agree with Leslie and the, the person that I was talking about who moved his mother from Maine. His reason for doing that was not necessarily because he thought it would work, but because he needed to do it. He wanted to do it. He wanted to try. He had to say to himself, I tried. Right. And fortunately, in some ways, I think it was, it was such a disaster so quickly that he was able to make that decision. Well, yeah. You know? I mean, it wasn't one of those slow burns. It was like a fast burn. Right. Or the limbo where you're like, yeah. It it was really? hard. yeah, it was hard on him and it was really difficult. But then he knew he knew that the next decision he had to make was to move her out of his home. Right. Because if you're going to fail, fail quickly. If whatever you set up is going to fail, let it fail quickly so we can all move forward. Because, yeah, you want to do the best you can with what you have. But if it's not working, it's not working. I think the hard one is when it's kind of working. Yes, yeah. exactly. That's the bad place to be. And it is everyone else is so busy trying to avoid the topic. 
you know, oh, I'm working right now. When I'm through with this project, let's talk about it. Yep. Meanwhile, it's getting worse and worse and worse. Mm -hmm. And, and then, then you're almost to that crisis point. Well, and it can be harder later to make that decision. Mm -hmm. Yes. A lot harder than to well, do it earlier. You know, when everybody's feeling pretty good. Right. <laughs> you know, well, and I think, you know, for me, I, this is the one time in my life where being a single parent works for me because the thing that yeah. the elephant in the room that we're not talking about, you know, any, the man that I date, um, he understands I come with two kids and an old man and three dogs. So if you don't like it, sayonara, buddy. Like, it's pretty right. clear. But the elephant in the room we haven't talked about is what does your spouse feel? Like, I'm lucky. Oh. I don't have to deal with a spouse because yes. it's like my dad, my house, my mortgage, my payment, my rules. Well, if I was married, yeah, you know, and they maybe my spouse doesn't have the same values of elderly and parents and it's my dad not his dad would i be resentful if his mom was living here right probably yes. right oh yes i think that two cooks in the kitchen that yeah. definitely complicates <laughs> things absolutely yeah. and i that can be i think really tough because really there's tough. that pressure you know you can pressure someone we really need to do this we need to try it and then if it doesn't work then how do you Oh, how do you make that shift? Mm -hmm. You know, how do you make that change? Um, so yeah, I think that's a great point. You're right because you're on your own. That's, yeah. that's an advantage. Right. I don't have to answer to anybody except, you know, my entire rest of my family. About my <laughs> I think you have them under control, Sandra. I think you've got it. I think you've got it going. You know, I it's funny. I, I resort back, you know, I worked for the Marine Corps, worked with the Marines for, you know, 30 years. And I, I get into that military mode, which is like, Yes, sir. No, sir. Right away, sir. And it's, it's really scary, but it's almost better sometimes to just say no, because then everybody says, well, what if, what if, what if, and at least there's a decision made because you can mm -hmm. always change your decision. Right. But if you don't say, you know, if you don't say anything, it's just there. Or if you negotiate everything to death. <sighs> that will wear you out. out and nobody wins in those because i'd rather say no and be wrong and be told i'm wrong by my kids because i say if you can make a clear and cogent argument why i'm wrong i'll listen to you mm -hmm. but same thing for my dad like if i say yes no black white and somebody says well gee you should consider red i will say why but not everything's open for discussion medication mm -hmm. not open for discussion driving, not open for discussion. Mm -hmm. You know, when my dad cooks, I'm in the kitchen with him. Why? Because he will slice his finger. He'll leave the gas on. You know, I think it's, it's almost like, you know, grandpa boot camp. But in some ways it sounds easier than, than people who have to do this from a distance. Do you I think know so. what I mean? It I mean, is for me. Yeah, it is for you. And because you have a situation where you have really taken the lead. I mean, you have prepared, you know, you've done everything the way you really should do it. But where I see people struggle is when they're trying to manage these situations from afar. And I know, when it. there's there's safety issues or, um, you know, or mom and dad taking their medications. Are right, they cognition issues, they, memory yeah. issues. You know, my grandmother had a stroke and laid on the floor for three days. And right. my grandfather, who had Alzheimer's, was he didn't know. He just went to bed, went to sleep, and he stepped over her. You know, my yeah. dad went to check on him because he didn't hear from my grandma. I think that really shaped me. I was like maybe 14, 15 years old to see what can happen. Yeah. What can go wrong? Yeah. And can really have consequences that are very far reaching mm -hmm. for everybody. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's like, what can you live with? Mm -hmm. Like, I can't live with that. You know, I can't live with, you know, my dad being on his own, being unattended, neither can my brother. So we negotiated, worked out this thing, you know, but clarity in these things are how you can sleep at night. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I'd rather be clearly wrong and have to fix it tomorrow than not do anything for weeks on end, agonize, stay up all night, and then maybe still be wrong. Yeah. Because there yeah. isn't any right or wrong in this. There just is. Mm-hmm. 
you know? Yeah, and for and like in Leslie's situation where, you know, you have 24-hour caregivers, which you have to manage mm-hmm. from halfway across the country. Right. But with 24-hour care, at least you know you have it covered. I have it right. covered. You have it you covered. You can sleep. Yeah. You yeah. still have to manage it, but you have it covered. Yeah. And, you know, most families simply can't afford 24 hour care. So they have to patch something together. that's going to keep mom or dad safe. Right. You know, I was going to mention too, that I knew, um, a woman who, uh, was in fact a caregiver, a professional caregiver herself. And uh, she was between jobs and she had lived with her father at one time, she and her husband and it hadn't worked out well it's a long story i won't get into it but the thing that she found out was she was actually eligible through her county in in the state that she lived in to be paid mm-hmm. to oh, be her father's care. caregiver so yep. that's something for people to look into as well because mm-hmm. there are grants there are different sources there's of funding there's military respite there's veteran respite course, my dad's like, I'm not taking any veteran benefits because there's veterans who need them. Oh, yeah. Um, and assisted living, you know, or not assisted living, you know, managed care. There's also, you know, homemade caregivers and, you know, people that you can hire that are, you know, you know, are licensed even just for a couple hours a week. Yeah. It can make a difference. Yeah, I think there, I totally agree with Leslie. There's so, there are a lot of resources out there. It doesn't necessarily patch together everything that you no, need, but, no. but if you, if you have veterans mm-hmm. benefits, then mm-hmm. there's, there's quite a bit to look into. There's aids and attendance. And like you said, right, the VA you know. foster home program, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, where veterans live with families, you know, in a home-like environment. And yeah. that is just, that is just a great program. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if they'll, you know, if they'll, they'll work with it. I mean, the hardest thing I think is, is the first couple months of living together as everybody gets used to each other. You know, they get used to, I think in our family, I think the first six months, my dad was grieving the whole time. So he was just in a fog, you know, and I would sit him at dinner. I would sit him, you know, move him, you know, come on, dad, come in the car with me, you know, and a lot of times he would just sit and cry. And, you know, there's really, I think there's a limit to what you can do as the daughter, as the caregiver. Like there are a lot of things in my dad's life I can't fix. You know, I can't fix his hip. I can't fix his respiratory issues. I can't fix his diabetes. I can't make him sleep at night. I do give him schnapps that puts him to sleep sometimes, but you know, you have to look at and go, what, what really is my role and what really can I do? Cause you look at their mental well being. I can dance a jig, stand on my head, pretend I'm a fighter jet and run around the living room. And he's still going to be sad. My mom's not here. He's still mm-hmm. going to be worried about his money and his dying and all these things. You know, I think everybody sometimes thinks you bring these people into your home and then it's just, Oh, we're all happy. Yeah. No, they're still old. They're still sick. They still get depressed. They still get frustrated. They still get forgetful. And again, calling a spade a spade. My dad's 86. He's not 26. Yeah. So setting the expectation of what's going to be in your household, like my expectations was I had none. I don't know what it's like to be a caregiver. I don't know what it's like to be a veteran caregiver. I don't know what it's like to care for my aging dad when I brought this on, you know, brought it into my home. Mm-hmm. So I just said, well, let's just see what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, I, Sandra, I think that is such a great point because we, we just, we can't fix aging. No. You know, we can't fix it um, as much as we want to, as much as we want, you know, our moms or dads to be happy and to be the way they were, they're, they're not. No. Right. And I think a lot of it is, is having little fixes. Like, you know, my dad repeats himself a lot. I hear the same stories over and over. So if I'm going to have a chat with him, I don't sit down to have a chat with him without laundry without, you know, my organizing my day planner or something, because I know it's the same story and he needs to say it and Mm -hmm. I need to hear it. You Mm -hmm. know, I don't need to hear it, but I can be doing other things with him 
Right. You know, I can turn on the TV with the closed captioning and catch a show (laughs) (laughs) while he's telling the same story. So, you know, a lot of it is just learning to accommodate what happens when we're older. And every time I get really frustrated with my dad, I think about how do I want to be treated when I'm this age? Because I'll be there too. Mm -hmm. And I think you bring up another thing that is really dear to all of us, I can tell. And that is, you know, we, we do have to struggle with that role reversal of suddenly the child becomes the parent. And nobody wants their parent to be treated with disrespect. So we have to learn our way. And I know um, there are certain people who are working in dementia care. There's quite a bit of uh, conversation going on about, well, just lie to them, you know, when they say that they're, you know, where's my wife who's been dead for 10 years. And we just can't really go with that. No, because that lying is about us. It's not even about them. That's about us, who I am, who you are. But every time I'm in that conversation with my mother and she'll say, well, I don't know where your daddy is. We're supposed to be going out pretty soon. And I'll say, well, you know, this is when he died. And let me, and I keep a book of photos and the obituaries in there and things that people said at his funeral. And the next thing you know, we're laughing and, you know, she enjoys just thinking about him and Hmm. she knows there's something she can't remember. Right. So I just meet her where she's at. Yeah. And it's not causing her to fall apart and regrieve all over. So when you say, you know, it's that having that conversation where he repeats a story he needs it. And you said, well, I need it. I guess I don't need it. But in a way you do because you are honoring him. Right. It's how am I relating to him? You know, mm-hmm. when a toddler comes to you, you know, and tells you a story about, a, you know, a, an imaginary friend they have, you roll with it. Right. Why yes. wouldn't you roll with it with your parent? And if you can, like what I heard you say, Leslie, too, or Amanda, too, was you, you moved her from wondering to thinking about something else. And that I think for both of you, you know, I've heard you say some of these things where it's like when you have these, you know, the shows we've done, you have somebody who doesn't remember that their spouse died or maybe that their child died or their child's dead. And they say, well, why hasn't Stevie called? You know, and you'll say, you know, well, Stevie passed away a couple of years ago. Let's look at the magazines. Let's look at something else because you can move them off one topic to another. Mm -hmm. You don't have to stay with somebody who has memory issues. Hello, they have memory issues. Put them to another memory. Like they're not going to get mad at you and say, you didn't forget. You you moved me off the conversation because they're not going to remember the other conversation. Right. So you steer them to something, you know, that they can talk about, or they do feel good about. That's just what you did. You talked about the memories you talked about. You literally changed the subject, but you didn't change the subject. Mm -hmm. And I also didn't let her live in a mistake. She would have been, you know, she's, and she has said to me a couple of times, I'll say, well, you know, daddy died a few years ago. And she said, well, how come nobody told me? And, or, well, why don't I remember? And I'll say, well, you just don't. And, but you know, isn't it great that we can here, let me show you where we had the funeral and who was there. And, and, and then she's, you know, she doesn't dwell on it. And you didn't argue with her. Yeah. Mm Because that's the things that I see, you know, doing this for 10 years now with my dad, I don't negate him and I don't dishonor him and I don't argue. Cause it's amazing. Like when you say, like when I was home, my dad wanted to drive and it's old farm country roads, but it's me and his grandchildren in the car. And I'm like, no. So we're walking up the hill and he says, I'm going to drive. And he had the keys in his hand and I gently pulled the keys on his hand. I said, no, dad, I'm going to drive. And I said, you sit in the back and call uncle Gary. When's the last time you called uncle? He got so involved in the uncle Gary conversation. Totally forgot about driving. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we do all those things to, you know, for some people, they have a really hard time with that, though. They, yeah. they do feel like, well, this is my mom or dad. They, they'll know. I can reason with them. And it's no. not about not reasoning. It's about be- keeping that respect in the tone, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, they, and when 
when mistakes do happen, you know, when they do things that end up badly, you know, my dad gave all his financial information over to a credit card company. One of the young men in our neighborhood, my childhood neighborhoods, brother was in jail. He tried to get $3,500 out of my dad for bail. My dad gave him a check. So I canceled the check. Like, you know, when you do these things, um, you do them, if you do them, I think with love and respect, then they actually start to trust you. I will tell you, my dad trusts me. And he will call me sometimes and say, Sam, I'm not sure what to do. You know, your cousin Bob asked for this. And I said, dad, I'd love to help you. Let me call uncle Bob and talk to him. Mm -hmm. And then I'll, I'll let you know. And I call uncle Bob, why are you asking for money? No, I'm sorry. You know, get a job. I'm a single mom. Stop bugging my dad. You know, <laughs> and I come back and like, you know, dad, I talked to him. Oh, he worked it out. Yeah. yeah. Cause he did. He worked it out with me, you yeah. know, cause there's that fine line. You don't want to lie. You don't want to mislead him, but it is a need to know basis. It's a military operation. What does my dad need to know to live out his days in peace? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perfect. You know, I don't know. We just do the best we can. And anybody listening today, whatever you decide, just do what you can. And that's enough because there is no perfect solution. There's no perfect answer. There's no perfect caregiver. I cry in the bathroom a whole lot. It, you know, we make it sound easy on here. We have all the answers, but when you're in the trenches, when you're taking care of somebody day in and day out and you blow it one day, you lose your cool, you say something you shouldn't. You just get up the next day and do it all over again. And if you have to make chance changes, make them. Yeah. Yes. No, there's no gold star for veteran caregiving or elderly caregiving. There's no report card and there's certainly, you know, no monetary reward, but you will be glad you did because the time you spend with your loved one, when they're gone, you don't get that back and you get all the good memories. We'll yeah. be back again next week. Thanks for being with us today on Motherhood Talk Radio, starring Sandra Beck. Join us again. We've got something you won't want to miss. Motherhood Talk Radio is a production of Beck Multimedia.